0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever you may be. This is Snapshots in Hockey History. And happy Thursday. Welcome to another episode of Snapshots in Hockey History, where we relive the hockey highlight reel. My name is Brett Small. Getting the business out of the way first, Snapshots in Hockey History is a listener-supported podcast brought to you free of charge every single Monday and Thursday at 8 a.m. I will never ask you for a dollar out of your pocket for this podcast, but if you want to do something nice, you want to help the show grow, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media at Snapshots in Hockey History on Facebook. You can leave us a review there and on Twitter at Snapshots in I want to thank everybody for the positive feedback we got on part one of our interview with Daniel Bouchard. Daniel was a great guest, and I think everyone's going to really enjoy part two. And one of the reasons I wanted to have Daniel on and definitely wanted to do an interview with him is I don't think enough people know his story and know his background. He was an excellent goalie in the 1970s and 80s. And I feel like people don't really give him the credit that he deserves. And he did a lot off the ice as well. He was a huge contributor to the NHL Pension Fund actually being improved eventually. He was one of the first players that kind of discovered what was going on and started talking about it and asking questions. And for those that don't know, the NHL pension was so backwards. And in the early 90s, Alan Eagleson was booted out of the NHLPA and it was fixed eventually. But Daniel was really one of the first guys that caught on to that. He also believes that's the reasons that the original Atlanta Flames owner, Tom Cousins, had to sell the team. As Dan was out there asking around, poking around, trying to understand what was going on in the pension, and he noticed there was a surplus. He mentioned it to Tom Cousins, and Dan said, don't tell anybody. Tom did, and he believes the owners forced him to sell the team. Pretty interesting stuff. He also talks about some collusion that took place in his career. Either way, Dan was also a hell of a goalie. I didn't realize this until afterwards. He was actually Patrick Waugh's idol. So definitely a pretty important figure in hockey history. During Part 2, we dig into his time with the Quebec Nordiques during the 80-81 season. He talks about the great run that they went on. And he's not kidding. As soon as he got traded, they were unbelievable. He talks about the Stastny brothers, Dale Hunter, playing the Philadelphia Flyers. Some really good stuff. If you enjoyed Part 1, I definitely think you'll enjoy Part 2. A side note to Part 1, I know we talked about the commercial with Jim Craig and... Coca-Cola. He told me a funny story off the air, and I wish I would have recorded this, but we were talking after the interview. I was just thanking him. I said that I was doing an interview with Brad Marsh coming up, and he said, oh, Brad Marsh was on the team. He was the team captain of the Flames then. He blocked more shots than Jim Craig. He was desperate to get in that commercial. It gave me a good laugh, so I thought I'd share that with everybody. Anyways, let's go ahead and get to part two of our interview with Daniel Bouchard. So before we get on to Quebec, because I really want to talk about you had a heck of a run with Quebec. There was one name that kept coming up that you mentioned just now, and that was Cliff Fletcher. He had been a GM for a long time and has been in hockey for like 50 years now. What was your ultimate, you know, putting everything aside, what was your relationship and take on Cliff Fletcher?
1: Well, you know what? There was nothing personal. It's just that, look, I needed to get out of there. I needed a new lease on life. I needed new air.
0: But was he a good hockey man?
1: Good hockey man. He did a lot of good stuff. Well, when he traded Tommy Lysak to Chicago, that was one of the downfall of hockey in Atlanta because uh, Tommy was one of the best players on our team and he got he traded him just to please a coach. And you know, you just if you want to do that to please a coach. Tommy, if Tommy Lysak stays in Atlanta, I don't know if we'd ever
0: left Atlanta. Really. He was that so, he was that important to the team. Yeah,
1: he was. Tommy was one of the best players we had, and when he let him go, that was really, really kind of. The, you saw the the stymie of the team after that.
0: Now moving on to the Quebec Nordiques, you arrive in Quebec the next morning.
1: I arrived not the next morning. Uh, it was a, a day I got in Quebec that night at five fifteen at the hotel and check in and. You know, uh, there there was a guy from uh, the hockey team came and pick up my equipment. And then uh, he says, your gear will be ready tomorrow morning. I went for lunch. I went for supper that night. And then I went to practice that morning. you one practice, two practice. And then the Saturday we played the Islanders, the first game in Quebec. And that's when Quebec, the Colise, they had rebuilt the amphitheater, the upper part of the building. They had... 3500 more seats that was the first night they were opening that so wow and you had
0: a hell of a game that game too
1: so we're playing uh, the islanders and uh you know i only recall making one one save and the whole what kick start the whole thing there is we got 28 games left we're going to make we got to make the playoff
0: you beat the islanders that game five to one
1: Five one or four one or something like that, but it was one nothing for for uh, the Islanders. And all of a sudden, uh, Tracey and Andrew Kallor gets on a breakaway on the two on one, not breakaway, two on one. And I'm yelling to Moose, stay on that side, don't move, stay on that side, don't move. So I didn't want Tracey to set set Kallor up. So all of a sudden, Tracey lets a perfect pass to Kallor, and Kallor takes a slap shot. And it lands in my glove, my catching glove. And then everybody in the building, it kind of electricity, everybody went up. The guy on the bench went up. So I grabbed the puck and I give it, I give it to the referee. And we won that game. Then uh, I think we won that series. We won 25-1-1. One and one. Uh, Michel Plass was the other goalie with me, and he lost the game in Calgary.
0: You guys went on a roll, and at this point, a couple games in, you're, you're four games in now, you, you went 4-0. Yeah. You're leading the Nordiques organization. How were the Nordiques different from the Flames?
1: Well, first of all, you know what? The Nordiques, on the third game, we went to play in Montreal. And I walk in, that was the first time in my whole life with an organization, I walk in a building like Montreal Farm. We was a Mecca and all of a sudden you walk in the dressing room and you saw the guy in the dressing room and everybody's so happy to be there, you know, and like, right. I was going, shoot, what's going on? saw. So I went to see the equipment manager, you know, and I René Lacoste, and I said, hey, René, I said, these guys love to play here. Huh? They they are not intimidated by the Canadian. Oh, he says, oh, he says we play great here. He says, you just wait till you see when they jump on the ice. He says, they got an extra kick in the step. You know, I says really. He says, oh yeah. He says just wait that. He says just wait the morning skate. You'll see. You'll see you are ready. So I got on the I got on that morning skate and all that. And I couldn't believe it. That was the first time I saw a team walk in Montreal Forum and not be intimidated.
0: So this team was this team had a lot of adrenaline.
1: Had three fifty goal scorer on the team.
0: Speaking of goal scorers, on February twenty third, you guys play your favorite team, the Washington Capitals, Mm -hmm. and smash them eleven to seven. And there were two goal scorers on that team that had remarkable games; each scored eight points each. Mm -hmm. Peter Stastny and Anton Stastny. Mm -hmm. What do you remember about the Stastny brothers?
1: Oh, the Stastny's, they were no Peter and Anton. Then Marion came along. They were kind of electric-like, you know. They were right. like, you know, they knew each other's move. They were, you know, people look at the sedine well, multiply that by
0: two. They were that good? Yeah. Did they ever talk to you about how they defected or anything like that?
1: I, I knew some of the story, and I knew, I knew Gilles Leger. I knew how they did that. And it was, you know, it was very critical. You no, know, they... The, their old family were pushing them out for them to go away. To go away. The family knew that they could be put in jail, do everything, but it was they were all committed, and that's why when they they were on the ice, they had a huge responsibility. They always remembered their family behind. You thought that was a driving force behind them.
0: Could you tell us a little bit about the story that you remember hearing about with that? I mean, it sounds like that their family. They did this for their families, and it was a lot of pressure on them at the time.
1: Oh yeah, they did this, and it was a lot of pressure, because when you leave a communist country, the families behind, they get completely estranged, They you get put away, they get isolated, they get all kinds of stuff.
0: March 24th, the Nordiques and the Canucks play to a three-game tie. This game had quite a bit of publicity surrounding it, because of Dave Tiger Williams made some mm-hmm. anti-French comments before the game, yeah, and... Yeah,
1: he called the, he says the frogs.
0: Right. He, and we don't, we don't hear a lot about Tiger Williams now, Dave Tiger Williams. What were your memories of playing against him over the years?
1: No, he was a competitor. He was kind of a, a loose wire, you know, but the whole idea was uh, he was always trying to get his team going. He was always, even when he went to Chicago, to Toronto, he was always a guy trying to get the team going. He was, you know, he was a very, very good competitor, you know?
0: Absolutely. And just a few days later, play played the Montreal Canadiens for the first time. hmm And the Quebec Nordiques had just been in the league only a couple of years, coming from the WHA. But did you start to see the signs of that rivalry between Montreal oh, and Quebec?
1: It was so electric, you know, because it was country, uh, the country town coming to town, you know? Right. And it was in the province. It was 6 million people. And you felt like the old problem was split in half. You know, people did not know what to take for.
0: You ended up playing for Quebec for several years. Do you have any memories that stick out to you from that rivalry between Montreal and Quebec?
1: Oh, yeah, it was bad. In the summertime, one time (laughs) I was in the elevator uh, with my mom in Montreal in the department store. And the people started to yell at me and her, (laughs) you know, and. (laughs) You bum, you're not allowed to be in this town and this and that. And then my dad's ah, oh, That's that's normal. He says this is the way they are. And then I go and play golf with my dad on that weekend, and the people in front of us decide they're not going to play anymore. They stopped playing. And they says, if you play on this course, we're not going to play. And
0: <laughs> well, hey, it opened up the course for you. At least uh, it made it easier for you.
1: They were just they forgot. You know, they forgot it was a sport. You know, like. So when I saw that they didn't want to play, I walk around. I went to the hole in front of them. There was two holes in front of them. We continue and all that. And there was there's nothing you could do about that. There was, it was really, really a crazy, crazy rivalry, but it was really two breweries. You know, it was O'Keefe and Molson. That was, They were fueling the whole thing.
0: Molson was the owner of the Montreal Canadiens. How did O'Keefe tie into it?
1: O'Keefe was owned the Nordiques.
0: Oh, so they were actually the owners. I thought it was. Uh, so no, 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 it was
1: O'Keefe.
0: I don't know why. I thought Mar- Marcella
1: Boo. It was the president, but O'Keefe owned the team.
0: Did Marcella Boo at some point own part of the team?
1: Well, he, he had some kind of ownership,
0: like a percentage. But that one. was years later, right?
1: On the sale. All he had, he's only had ownership on the sale. Then the company called uh, Kanan Manak bought them. Gotcha. And and that's how Obu got his his share. He was their lawyer.
0: Got it. Got it. After you guys beat the Montreal Canadiens, you have had an unbelievable run. The team's 19-5-5. You unfortunately snap an 11-game unbeaten streak when you lose to the Hartford Whalers. Was Gordie Howe still on that Whalers team? Uh, No. Okay. Did you ever play? I'm sure you played against Gordy and Bobby Hall.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I play with Gordy because uh, I play against Gordy in Atlanta. Our last season Atlanta, 79-80. We played in Artford, and Gordy got a shot from the point. It was coming at me. I went to catch it, and Greg Fox tipped it right before I catch it, and he tipped (laughs) it in. And the coach came in the room and didn't scream at me. He, He says, Danny was going to catch it barehanded. And he says, there you are. You go and put your stick there and knock it in the net. Why don't you go and ask Gordy for his autograph? <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of the joke of the, yeah, that was the 78, 79 season.
0: I'm just curious. You hear about Gordy Howe. You hear about Bobby Hall. You were a goalie in the 70s and 80s where I think you started wearing the fiberglass mask and then mm-hmm. you switched over to the cage. Who was the hardest shot you ever faced?
1: Oh, guys like Bobby, uh, Bobby, uh, Bobby Hall had a wicked shot. Uh, you take uh, Danny Gare, uh, Reggie Leach. Uh, you, get, uh, guys like uh, you get guys like Matlis. You get guys like Perot and Robert, um, Richard Martin and Buffalo. Uh, you take. Uh, you know what? One year we had. When I went to Team Canada in '76. You know, that training camp was brutal. They had fifteen fifty 1550 goal scorer and they had five players. They got three
0: defensemen that had close to hundred points. <laughs> so you must have just getting getting you know, rockets thrown at you left and right.
1: Yeah, yeah, but that's that's you no, know, the talent was so contained, you know, in the small league.
0: Well, it was all so concentrated, it seems like.
1: It was concentrated. You know, you you look at hockey then, and you look at hockey now without the blue line and without grabbing a guy going to the net, and shoot, that would have been murder. We would have got killed.
0: So the final two games of the season are against the Toronto Maple Leafs. You end up having a home and away series with them, and the Toronto Maple Leafs are kind of a mess during this period. Harold Ballard's the owner. Pudge Imlak's the GM. Do you recall what was going on in Toronto around this time?
1: No, it was always an inside out because, you see, the Maple Leaf Garden was like a little uh, enmity in, in Toronto, you know. It was kind of nobody could go over there and tell them. You know, Ballard always was a very different owner. Ballard was almost like the O.J., uh, uh, not O.J., uh, uh, Finley, you know, the guy that owns Oakland A's. Oh,
0: yeah, 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 yeah,
1: yeah. The O. Finley. Yeah, he was like the Charlie O. Finley of... Of hockey, that's who Ballard was.
0: So, you end this great season. You're living in Quebec now at this time, and you're getting ready to go into the playoffs, where you'll play the Philadelphia Flyers in the first round. Mm -hmm. You talked about McLeish's slap shot. Mm -hmm. What was the feeling going into the playoffs among the team? What was the strategy to be able to shut the Flyers down?
1: Well, you know, we went the we went in the playoff kind of backwards a little bit. You know, we had injuries. uh, We had the Three defensemen with bad injuries, knee taped and all that. And I had got run the game before last into the net where that's when I had my neck problem, but still. But we went in there and they said, hey, we're going to go. We're going. And we went five games with them.
0: You end up going five games with them. The first game is an eight to five uh, offensive slugfest. You guys end up losing this. Bill Barber has a. The last shot win. It was, it was. It absolutely was the last shot wins. Bill Barber has a hat trick and Bobby Clark is uh, playing on that team as well. The Flyers were kind of in a transition period at this point, but were they still the bullies of the seventies or are they kind of transitioned out of that?
1: They had Holmgren and they had the rats. And you see in that series, there was a fight in that game and I got bit by the rats.
0: Whoa, you got bit by the rat Ken Linesman?
1: Yeah, there was a fight and there was something like Six three or no, and he hit somebody from behind. And as soon as he turned around, I jump on him and it caused a little ruckus. And then Olmgrim ended up jumping on me, and he says, "Let him go, let him go." And I said, "I'm not letting him go." I says, "He's biting me." <laughs> oh. and he, what do you mean he's biting me? <laughs> and he bit me all the way. He broke all the skin. I had to get a tetanus shot. Oh man. <laughs> You know, and, you know, Holmgren says, what do you mean, buddy? He says, well, take your fingers out of his eyes. If he doesn't, if he doesn't let go he doesn't of his bite, I said, I'm going to push his you know, his eyes through his head, you know. And he grabbed, he told him, let him go. So he, he's the one that actually pulled my hand out of his mouth, you know.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: That's how crazy it was, you know.
0: Game, I'm sorry. Game one was four to six. It was game two. That was eight to five. Game three, you guys shut the Philadelphia Flyers out. They put up 14 goals in the prior two games. What did you guys do differently in game three?
1: Well, first of all, we were able to adjust our lines, you know, to their lines. And that was a difference.
0: So it almost was coaching made the big difference in that game.
1: Well, the coaching, because, you know, our third line and fourth line was a huge gap between them and us
0: makes sense so game uh game four is on april 12th and dale hunter scores a goal in overtime to tie up the series two to two yeah dale was a rookie then and i feel like everybody that plays with dale has some sort of dale hunter story
1: Dale was one of the best competitor i've ever seen
0: did you know him at all off the ice
1: yeah I, i knew him off the ice and off the ice he was you know pretty quiet i i didn't hang around you know i didn't hang around him a lot but you know, when we hit the road, we used to go on the road. We used to go out eating restaurant. Mm-hmm. He was always the, the chuckle kid, you know, and he's a rookie. And you know, he, you knew is where he come. He knew where he come from because his family we were farming people, and it, they're very, very. He was a very honest, honest kid.
0: And of course, Dale Hunter's gone on to coach in London. And one thing that I don't understand is Dale Hunter still not in the Hockey Hall of Fame to this day. Do you think there is a place for him? There's a lot of people say it's because of the, his playing style. He didn't make it. Do you think he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame?
1: Well, Dale Hunter deserves to be every bit for what he gave hockey. He won the won Memorial Cups. He done. Look, he always was a winner.
0: Yeah, he he won everywhere when he went on to coach. He Dale went on to Hunter
1: be a, not being in the Hall of Fame. Me not being on all of fame, you know, is is very because I went against the league with uh, when 1991 uh, we fought the league for to get the money back from uh, the owners, and that was out like I was a guy behind it. But uh, and also when I went when I resigned my contract with uh, with the Nordiques, well, we caught the league under collusion, and that was my. That was my blacklist. Yeah, you were but
0: done after that. You were... I
1: was done. Yeah. When I went When I went on the... Um, when I went and uh, we... my. I always remember I got a call on a Friday night and it was Jamie Sops agent calling me and telling me, you know, he says, Bouchard, you know, uh, you and Bob Bourne are going to be a real example to the rest of the league and what not to do because you shouldn't have gone and do... Uh, a free agency the way you did, and it's not going to work for you. And after a while, I'm says, Oh honored, is this is guy calling me." And then I call my agent Capstein, and I says, uh, "You know what's going on here?" My wife turns around and she says, "Maybe that's the guy you got traded for. That's his agent." And my lawyer says, "You hit the nail right on the head, lady." We found out there was a collusion.
0: When was the collusion? You said that was what? What era? What period was that?
1: That was in nineteen the summer nineteen eighty, around September twenty Because I always remember uh, we called on the Monday morning in Toronto, and the judge told us there was a collusion. Then I could sign for anybody, and then they had already slotted a player was a, a one, a two, a three, or a four depending of his caliber on the team, his depth charge. They said you can go and play for any team in the league you want for the equivalent of a Jamie Islip.
0: So just getting this out of the way, because I, I want to touch on that. I want to get back to that. April 14th, you guys lose the series. Dale Hunter ended up fighting Ken Linesman, trying to get some revenge for your bite during the uh, the final game. Rick McLeish, Ken Linesman, Paul Holmgren, and Brian Prop scored for the Flyers, and that pretty much ends your season but I you were a free agent and yeah. this was interesting to me and you you were going to go explore free agency and you end up going back to Quebec and I, I know you talked about the collusion can you kind of walk us through that a little bit more
1: well you know when my agent start to talk we start to talk with Quebec and you know Quebec wants to do and so we start to talk with we call about five, th- five teams, the New York Rangers. We talk, we talk with Abe Poland. See, Kapstein uh, knew Abe Poland very well in Washington. And Abe says, oh, Jerry, he says, right now, I can't talk to you about Danny. He says, uh, my general manager is the one that's going to handle that. And right away, Capstein had figure out that the owners is stuck together, got all their elbows in together, and they're not going to let free agency take place.
0: So you got stuck right in the middle of yeah, this
1: because I me mean, me and Bob Bourne, me and Bob Bourne was the same thing.
0: And, and that's something really fascinating to me, because that was when Alan Eagleson, I think, was still the head of the NHLPA, correct? Yeah. And he was also negotiating with like he had several positions, right? Oh, yeah. He so,
1: has a conflict of interest all along.
0: And did you feel he was holding the players down at, at that point?
1: Well yeah, well well then you see when when there was a world hockey he was he was trying to sign as many guy to the NHL as possible. Right. And you see Eagleson added so well every player on each team in the NHL that Eagleson represent was also a player rep for the NHLPA.
0: So he really had his hands oh yeah tightly wrapped around everything. <laughs>
1: And the league light wanted it like that. The league was, you know, they were in bed with Eagles. Oh,
0: say, so why wouldn't you be? You can pay the players less. But
1: when Eagleson went to Miami, he was sitting on Bill Wirtz's yacht, you know?
0: Yeah, so they were, they were hanging out. In fact, in 1981, the Canada Cup team is being put together. And you're left off this team. And a lot of people are talking that it's because you are a francophone. Do, do you think they looked at francophones differently? Was there, I don't want to say racism, uh- but... Guy Lafleur was a francophone.
1: The Canada the Canada Cup was in 87.
0: Oh, okay. So that was in 87. I'm not sure. This must have been a World Championships or something that I read I had, about.
1: I went to a World Championship in in Prague. I went to World World uh, – I could have gone – I played in Prague in the World Championship in 78. I finished second on the All-Star team. No, no, that year, I knew right away that when – I signed my contract as a free agent, and we called the league in the collusion. Well, I knew right away it was that was it. that was it. You're blacklisted. My agent told me you're going to decide, because you know that morning that they, they announced the collusion, you know, and Ryan, Brian O'Neill called me and he says. Uh, Are you going to sue the league? And I says, why should I sue the league? I says, my contract is worth more, twice more than what the league has in their coffer right now. He said to me, well, he says, you know, Danny, he says, you still, you know, we want to know if you're going to do this and you want to do that. And then my agent turned around and he got all the owners to sign my contract. Like, what's going to be guaranteed? And that was a nail in the coffin. They, they had no choice because he says, they, they're they not going to turn around and blackball you.
0: And then you go ahead and you play out the rest of your career. And, and I could do 10 more episodes on, on. You've had so many things in your career. But you touched on in 1991 when you went after the league. What was all that about?
1: Well, it wasn't it started with John Ferguson my last year in the 85 86 I went to play in Winnipeg my last year Yep and I get to the airport and Fergie picks me up and I says, this is unusual you know general manager doesn't come and pick up a goalie he trades for it was around the October 10th it was Canadian Thanksgiving and he, and I, I I get in there and he says "Dang" he says "I'm I hope uh, you help us get going here this and that and I said well Fergie let's give, let's play hockey right he says wait a minute you have something that I want he says look the rocket is making you no know, $7000 pocket rockets making $9000 pension plan he says apparently you got all the numbers on the league stealing money. Oh, I says, yeah, but I says, look, I'm going to take care of that when my career is over. I'm not going to do that right now. I says, I've already been blackballed since I signed my contract. And I says, which you'll never see. He says, what do you mean? So he goes back to the rink the next day, and he comes to me, and he says, uh, what the hell is wrong with your contract? You know, uh, uh, the owner says they can't see my contract. The uh, The controller says nobody sees your contract. I says, because it's signed by all the owners, because I caught a, we, there was a collusion between Quebec and Calgary on Jamie's subcontract. contract. He says, Quebec guaranteed the subcontract contract too. He says, what a bunch of fools. He says, that's, an, that's not your fault. I says, well, I create a precedent.
0: You absolutely did.
1: So he says, well, I want all those numbers. I says, Fergie, at the end of the season, so at the end of the season, we were playing for the playoffs, and we had to go to L.A. And win one. We had to win two of the last four games of the season. And I hadn't played for about two weeks, three weeks, and all of a sudden Fergie comes over to me, and he's he fired Barry Long, and he says, look, he says, uh, is your ankle okay? I said, my ankle's fine. It's never been hurt. So what's going on? Well, I said, you know, I says, uh, they wanted me to start to cause some ruckus so Barry Long could be fired, you know, because he did not want to resign. He had two years left in his contract, and I says, I respected that. Was, you know, I, sh- I didn't say anything. From there, you know, ba- you know, Ferguson told me, he says, Danny, I going to do something with you. He says, what? He says, if we make the playoff, I'm not going to buy your contract. And I didn't say anything. And at the end of the season, well, we ended up making the playoff. He calls me a week after the season's over, and he says, uh, you know what? He says, uh, I didn't buy your contract. And all I says, you couldn't buy it anyway, Fergie. It's guaranteed. And he looks at me, and he, what do you mean it's guaranteed? I says, well, ask your owner. I says, show it to you. And he told me he never show it to him. So he says, what are you going to do now? Then that next year, I went to training camp. And at training camp, that's when I found out Dan Maloney was a big Eagleson guy. He was one of his players. He was the new coach. And I played three games, gave one goal in three exhibition games. He didn't even get a he, – he called me after 10 days of training camp, and he says, uh, uh, you can go to Washington in a month. Uh, you're going to have to go and play somewhere else. In the meantime, maybe Europe or something. And so I says uh, – Look, Fergie, I'm just going to head home. I'm going to go and play in Europe for a little bit, and I says that's it. And that was it. And I said, uh, but I said, he says, what about the thing for the player in due time? I says, let's me finish my contract, and went from there. So I went, I went from there, and I played, played a little bit in Europe. I blew my knee, and then I called it quits. And uh, in 1987. That spring of eighty-seven, we played "Relive the Dream," the Russia-Canada series. Fifteen years later, mm-hmm. in Ottawa, and this is when I met Gordie Howe and Alan Stanley, and I gave them all the paperwork.
0: For people that might not know, and I know we've been we've been going a while, and I'll let you go. You know, mm-hmm. after this, for people that might not know, now you see free agency, and it's pretty simple. It's pretty cut and dry. You have your restricted and unrestricted.
1: Mm-hmm. How was
0: free agency different back when you played?
1: Well, we didn't, you know. I would have been nowadays. If I we would have had that then, I would have been un, unrestricted. I could have gone and play, for whomever I was. But, you know, in those days, they were so afraid of the time and salaries overnight. You know, the average salary was about a hundred. Then, not even that, but ninety-six thousand dollars. And I signed when I signed. I signed for three hundred thousand. Wow. And I was for the I was the best paid paid goalie. And one day I'm uh, playing in in Montreal, and Guy Lafleur, I'm, I'm stretching at center, no, along the board. And Guy Lafleur comes over. He says, "Danny, thank you, thank you." This is what, uh, twenty eight thousand dollar raise. This is what he says. I was making two hundred ninety seven thousand. And he says, now they had to give me $28,000 because I'm always going to be number one paid player by (laughs) (laughs) $25,000.
0: Good deal for him. So what do you want me to tell you, you know? I was going to say, he should have bought you dinner after that.
1: Well, I says, yeah, I'll see you for lunch uh, later on. He start to laugh. And he says, I can't believe it. He says, uh, they were really afraid of the free agency. I says, yeah, they are.
0: Dan definitely had a pretty interesting career, both on the ice and off the ice. It's interesting what he says about the Hockey Hall of Fame, and that's why he believes he'll never be in there. I don't know, to be honest with you, but I'm really glad he came on the podcast and we were able to kind of relive his hockey highlight reel a little bit and chat about his time with the Flames as well as with the Quebec Nordiques. We're going to have another episode on Monday. Appreciate all the likes on social media as well as all the reviews. Please, 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 please leave us a review. If you enjoy Snapshots in Hockey History, I can't tell you how much that helps. Also, if you tell a friend, spread the word. Really trying to get the word out there. The larger the audience we get and the more the following grows, I think the more players that we can get on the podcast. Anyways, enjoy the rest of your week. We'll see you on Monday for another episode of Snapshots in Hockey History.